From pop culture to politics, this is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Yes, a great day, despite a disappointing day on the stock market. All kinds of indications that the American people are getting ready to send a powerful message uh, in November of this year when they vote for the shape of our Congress, our governorships, and many other issues. So what's the message they will send? What's the message they should send? Nobody to talk to better on that issue than uh, George Will, who has for a half century been one of the most wise and uh, most steadfast conservative voices out there. Uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, he is the author most recently of a, a scintillating and fascinating collection of columns called American Happiness and Discontents. He writes not only about American politics, but wisely about American culture, and particularly the very center of American culture, which of course is baseball. Uh, George, congratulations on the paperback release of your book. It's posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. And... Uh, let me ask you first about some of the good news that surrounds us with plenty of bad news to balance but some of the good news involves the fact that ukraine has met with totally unpredicted a uh, battlefield success liberating now it's more than a thousand square kilometers uh it's a a great deal of territory that they have liberated some 20 cities or towns uh, is there any sense in which this is not good news? None whatever. Uh, it turns out it's a lesson as old as war itself, but morale matters. Uh, the Ukrainians know what they're fighting for and love what they're fighting for. The abused, demoralized, badly trained, ill-supplied Russian army doesn't want to be there, it turns out. And uh, there just comes a point where they break and run. Uh, Putin has to be one of the largest geopolitical losers of modern times. He goes to war against Ukraine. Ukraine is going to, as a result, wind up in the European Union. Uh, he goes to war to, to try and put NATO in its, back on its heels. Instead, NATO is enlarged with Sweden and Finland. And NATO is now has uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles of border now with uh, Russia. In every particular, Mr. Putin has been a loser. Now, some people say, Michael, that wouldn't it be great if Putin fell? I think we actually want Putin to stay right where he is. Uh, a <laughs> diminished, ridiculous, isolated figure. Because whoever replaces him is apt to be worse. There aren't many Jeffersonians lurking in the upper reaches of Russian <laughs> society. So let's just keep him there. A, a wounded Putin is better than his replacement. What about the, the prospect, and Admiral Stavridis and others uh, have been writing about this, that he actually would follow what apparently is their accepted military doctrine and consider using tactical nuclear weapons or perhaps even chemical weapons against uh, the Ukrainians? Well, it, it, he, he would be ill-advised, to put it politely. Uh, the Europeans have been steadfast so far, and they would be all the more so and willing to accept even more draconian measures against uh, Russia. 
Michael, the, the, the second use of atomic weapons occurred three days after the first, and there hasn't been a third. This is a threshold the human race does not want to cross. The fact that we have not crossed it since uh, August 1945 is a great tribute to the statecraft of many people on, on all sides uh, in, in the world, and, and, and that would be a, a huge, horrible mistake. Speaking of uh, statecraft, you, you had a terrific column, which uh, I thought was extremely enlightening, about elites and populists and uh, the idea re recalling David Halberstam's book, The Best and the Brightest, uh, that uh, sometimes uh, elites and elite educations are greatly overvalued, but sometimes uh, populist instincts are also overvalued. Uh, do you think we're at that side of the pendulum right now? I think we are. I, I think we're, we're not giving credit to the good men and women on both sides of our political argument these days. Most people are not furious. Most people are not in, crazed. Most people are not ideologically intoxicated. They're, they're doing their best, and they're fallible human beings, and, and we have a complicated system that's supposed to be hard to work. The framers did not say when they went to Philadelphia in the sweltering summer of 1787, they did not say, let's design a simple government. <laughs> they were not simple-minded people, and they didn't want a simple government. They wanted a government of checks and balances, three branches, supermajorities, judicial review, veto, veto overrides, all kinds of ways to slow the beast down. But it works. And uh, ours is the most successful constitution ever. And... Uh, Good men and women are trying to make it make it work. Just don't get too impatient because the founders produced a system that requires the special patience of American politics. And that special patience involves uh, divided government. I was just doing a little calculation on literally on the back of an envelope uh, before the show today. More than for the last 70 years since Dwight Eisenhower became president, he became president and he had two years of a Republican Congress. But the rest of his six years, he had all Democrats in both houses of Congress and uh, very successful presidency. Reagan always had a Democratic House of Representatives. Uh, Clinton uh, had a Republican Congress, both houses for six of his eight years. Is there anything wrong with a situation where the voters seem to just prefer divided government? The voters uh, produce this on purpose often. They say we don't trust either party to to have no restrictions on it. So let's let's add to the institutional checks and balances, the checks and balances of the party system. People say, well, that means nothing gets done. And they go, oh, poor old Mr. Obama couldn't get anything done. Mr. Obama passed with the Dodd-Frank bill, the largest, most comprehensive revision of regulation of our financial system since the 1930s. He passed with the Affordable Care Act, the largest expansion of the social safety net since the 1960s. That's not chopped liver. That is, uh, that is that he, he got big things done. You may not like them, but you can't say they weren't big and they weren't done. Uh, do, who do you believe is the most overrated and the most underrated of our recent 
presidents uh, since since Truman, say? Uh, the uh, best president since Truman was uh, Ronald Reagan, with uh, two additions. You just said something nice about Dwight Eisenhower. He, he Eisenhower understood the advantage of being underrated, underestimated. Uh, he kept the peace in a very dangerous decade. Uh, and I would add Lyndon Johnson, because the civil rights revolution came to a head when he was president. And he was the more than any president since Lincoln. I think Lyndon Johnson felt, understood the human dimension of Jim Crow, because he'd, he'd lived in Texas when Jim Crow was alive and well. Uh, those are my three. But the, at the top of the list is Reagan. And overrated? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, overrated. Uh, Mr. Carter's not rated highly, so I guess he can't be overrated. <laughs> and the same, I would say, is true for Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, you know, there's no saying that some people want to be president in order to be something and others want to be president in order to do something. I think uh, Mr. Clinton just wanted to be president. The best thing he did was free trade, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and he did it only because Republicans did it for him in Congress. Well, there's welfare reform, too, and it's also the Republicans who got that accomplished. George Will, our guest, when we come back, what's happening to American culture? What's happening to baseball? And uh, where do we go from here after this midterm election? We'll talk about that with George Will coming up. Michael Medved Show, it's always an incomparable pleasure to speak to George Will. Uh, you can speak to him, too, through his new uh, paperback edition of American Happiness and Discontents. It's a collection of uh, columns covering 2008 to 2020. Uh, not a period of time that most people associate as a golden age for the United States of America, <laughs> but uh, George Will finds a lot of gold to uh, excavate, in, including on his uh, favorite sport and other profession, which is uh, baseball. And, uh, George, with the achievements of oh, players ranging from... Uh, Aaron Judge to Shohei Otani uh, and Julio Rodriguez right here in Seattle, where I'm based. Uh, doesn't this seem like an unusually wonderful baseball season? It really is. Uh, Julio Rodriguez is going to be a star for many years. The Seattle Mariners are about to end the longest postseason drought in North American sports today by uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure getting into the playoffs. Judge is doing it honestly. There's not a taint of suspicion about uh, performance-enhancing drugs. I believe that the home run record, single-season home run record, is still 61 by Roger Maris because all the other uh, home run uh, totals are tainted by cheating. So, no, this is a great moment in baseball. What about the changes they're talking about, about putting a clock on, on pitchers uh, so you run out of time, you have to throw throw the ball? Uh, does that bother you at all? Not a bit. I'm all in favor of it. Baseball is dying because velocity is killing it. Velocity is overwhelming the hitters. Uh, here's what the pitch clock does. First of all, 
it speeds up the game because the pitchers won't dawdle. Second, because the pitchers won't have time to recover between each pitch, they're not going to give maximum exertion, maximum velocity on each pitch. Third, the fact that with no one on base, they have to throw the ball in 15 seconds means that the batters can't keep stepping out of the batter's box, adjusting their batting gloves, and contemplating Fermat's last theorem or whatever they're thinking about <laughs> when they're wandering around outside. The, the, the bat. So it, the pitch clock cures all kinds of things. Also, banning the shifts, saying that there has to be two infielders on each side of second base, and all four of them have to have their spikes in the dirt as the pitch is delivered. We're going to see athleticism again. We're going to go see these wonderful uh, ball players. Arenado, the third baseman for the the Cardinals, and um, uh, uh, Lindor, the shortstop for the Mets, showing their range and showing their athleticism, rather than being prepositioned in out in right field as a fourth outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to speed the game up. It's going to be more action. It's going to be wonderful. I, I, I look forward to it. I certainly look forward to the postseason. And you're right. They, they had a they had just an unbelievable game, uh, home game here in Seattle, uh, with with two home runs in the ninth inning to recover an eight to seven win over the Braves, last year's world champions. It's all. It's I all. A, I was in a Chinese restaurant in Manhattan with my phone watching that game, uh, waiting for my meal. I watched Rodriguez, and then who was the other guy hit the second home run? Anyway, hey, Eugenio was. Suarez, the third baseman, yes. who we just got from Cincinnati. And uh, in any event, it, when, when things are going well with baseball, it really does add a spring to your step. Now, just to turn to a more rugged uh, subject, politics. Do you think that America is condemned uh, to a replay of uh, Biden versus Trump? And would you agree that that is a consummation uh, devoutly to be unwished? It's a nightmare. Uh, Mr. Biden, I don't want to be unnecessarily rude, but Mr. Biden was not Lincoln in his prime. And his prime is a long way in Mr. Biden's rearview mirror. Uh, my views of Mr. Trump are so well known, I don't need to belabor them. The country should not elect people that old to be president. Now, we age, I'm older than Biden, but I think we age at different speeds. And leaving aside the politics of each of these two gentlemen, it's just not healthy to entrust our system uh, to geriatrics of, of this sort. So uh, it, it seems to me for the if, if Mr. Biden is saying what he ought to say now, which is he intends to run again, so that, that that delays him becoming a lame duck. I understand that. But I don't think he means it. I don't think he's going to run again. Uh, I, it's, un, it's unthinkable that they settled for uh, Kamala Harris, who's been a, a huge disappointment in the public eye. Uh, and the Republicans have so much talent out there. I, I don't know, Michael, if you saw a column I wrote recently in, in which I said I'm, I'm almost for amending the Constitution to say that anyone, no one is eligible to be president if they are or ever have been a senator. I think the Senate teaches people very bad habits. It's a terrible incubator of executive talent. There's so many excellent governors out there. Let's let's go back to doing what we used to do in this country, which is pick governors who had executive experience to be chief executives. 
And so uh, the top three that would come to mind among those uh, excellent Ducey, governors? Ducey of Arizona, Sununu of New Hampshire, Lee of Tennessee. How's that? That's uh, that's and, a pretty good lineup. It's certainly a more promising and, and, lineup than what you're hearing about. Uh, one former governor of Indiana, Mitch Daniels. And, and Mitch is terrific. He just wrote a, a president of Purdue University, and he just wrote a terrific column in Wall Street Journal again, as he as he does very regularly. Okay, uh, basically, what is the message you expect the American people to send with their votes coming up uh, in oh just over fifty days from now? I think the message is going to be this: We're not asking for the moon. We're not asking for anything exotic. We're asking for two things. We want the currency in our wallets to not lose its value through inflation. And we want to be able to go out on safe streets in order to shop and spend it. Is that asking too much? In other words, crime and inflation are going to drive the, the election this year. The idea that the de Democrats' fortunes have been changed by that what do, what do they call it? Is it a climate bill? Is it an anti-inflation? Whatever they call it. They're, the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, which they also advertise as a climate bill. The fact is, if you give the American people 20 issues and say rank them, climate will come in about 19th or 20th. Uh, that's not how people are going to go to the polls and vote. And I think they're going to vote on inflation and crime, both of which are convincing the American people that society is fraying and needs amended. Uh, you can uh, help to knit up that frayed society and that at least frayed understanding or optimism uh, by getting your own copy in paperback now of American Happiness and Discontents, a full of pearls of wisdom. In fact, whole chapters of wisdom, pearls, chapters. It's wisdom is there in the book. Uh, George will always enjoy uh, uh, more continued contributions to the American political and cultural system. Uh, we will be right back on the MedVet Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, there are some indications of uh, maybe, maybe things getting back to normal in this country. I uh, I was very stirred because of my own personal experience when uh, a couple of months ago the parole board in California had um, had recommended uh, that uh, there be parole granted to Sirhan Sirhan, the murderer of Robert Kennedy. I was there the night of the assassination. I didn't see the actual shooting, but felt all the screams and and the horror from uh, a few yards away. And uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and I think the single most laudable act of his entire public career as mayor of San Francisco and lieutenant governor and governor of California, uh, blocked the release of Sirhan Sirhan, the evil Palestinian terrorist who, uh, uh, who killed Robert Kennedy uh, and planned it and uh, executed it and shot some other people uh, as as well. The um, another killer uh, where 
I happened to be in New York at the time, and uh, having never lived in New York, but I, I was there visiting when John Lennon was shot. And Mark David Chapman, who killed John Lennon pointlessly and, and insanely, uh, uh, he claims somehow it's associated with his reading of J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, but never mind. The man who shot and killed John Lennon outside his Manhattan apartment in the Dakota building in 1980 has been denied parole for the 12th time. New York corrections officials uh, made the announcement. Mark David Chapman, who was 67, appeared before a parole board at the end of August, according to the State Department of Corrections and Community uh, Supervision. Chapman shot and killed Lennon on the night of December 8, 1980, as Lennon and Yoko Ono were returning to their Upper West Side apartment. Chapman has repeatedly expressed uh, remorse in previous parole hearings. He called his actions despicable during his hearing in 2020 and said he would have no complaint whatever if they chose to leave him in prison for the rest of his life, which of course is the appropriate thing to do. Uh, there is right below that item in my Seattle Times is a coverage of uh, two teenage boys were fatally shot on Sunday night at a Los Angeles Boys and Girls Club carnival in Lincoln Heights. Isn't that unbelievably sad? The, the boys were 15 and 17. And uh, they, they were approached by a man while they were attending the carnival just before the shooting the uh, the man approached the boys and then fired on them multiple times and then ran away. The uh, Los Angeles Police Department, uh, Fire Department actually, responded to the scene, but the boys died, according to the LAPD, and no information yet about the shooter. And then there is this, speaking of shooters, Associated Press coverage. Uh, Attorneys for Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz began building their argument Monday that his birth mother's alcohol abuse left him with severe behavioral problems that eventually led to his 2018 murder of 17 people at Parkland's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Paul Connor, a Seattle-area neuropsychologist, said medical records and testimony by Prior witnesses show that Brenda Woodard drank and used cocaine throughout much of her pregnancy before Cruz's birth in 1998. Woodard, a Fort Lauderdale prostitute, gave up the baby immediately after his birth to his adoptive parents, Linda and Roger Cruz. A Woodard, his birth mother, died last year. Uh, Connor, testifying by Zoom, told jurors that people with fetal alcohol syndrome uh, disorder show at a young age problems with motor skills, impulse control, socializing, and paying attention. Problems previous defense attorneys uh, showed Cruz had. Uh, Connor said that uh, Cruz uh, measured had a measured IQ of 83. At five, tests showed that Cruz had impairments in 10 intellectual categories, including memory, reasoning, language, and impulsivity. Uh, court records and earlier testimony showed that he would have frequent outbursts in class and at home. By middle school, he was making threats, including to his adoptive parents. 
Uh, his IQ of 83 matches the slightly below average intelligence. Many people with fetal alcohol issues often score. He said IQ tests conducted throughout Cruz's life found similar results, including one done recently by a prosecution expert. A Cruz 23 pleaded uh, guilty in October to murdering the 14 students and three staff members as he stalked a three-story classroom building with an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle on Valentine's Day 2018. His trial is only to decide whether the former Stoneman Douglas student is sentenced to death or life without parole. For the seven-man, five-woman jury to impose a death sentence, the vote must be unanimous. The uh, in an attempt to counter the claims of the prosecution, which presented all the details and the horror of that American nightmare, uh, the assistant public defender, Melissa McNeil, who's defending Nicholas Cruz, have made his history, their case's centerpiece, hoping that at least one uh, juror will vote for life. After the defense concludes the case in the coming weeks, the prosecution will present a rebuttal case before the jury's deliberations begin. Uh, it, it seems to me that the, uh, the, the idea of uh, judging Nicholas Cruz and the monstrous, incalculable evil that he perpetrated, uh, judging that uh, mercifully is, uh, would be a... Uh, an abridgment of justice. It, it, wouldn't, it would not be appropriate, not for the family of the victims uh, or for society. There's another crime, uh, much lesser crime, but also disturbing. In Los Angeles again, uh, nine French bulldog puppies were stolen from an L.A. home on Sunday as the pricey pets continue to be a frequent target for theft according to the L.A. Police Department. You, you know the way that there's certain makes of cars that are likely to be stolen. Apparently that's true for dogs, too. The owner said he left the nine puppies at his Northridge home with a friend on Sunday afternoon when two masked men entered the residence and stole the dogs. Oh, what do you do with nine different bulldog puppies? You put them in a bag or something? I mean, what is going on there? We have we have friends who have a, or who had recently, may her memory be a blessing, a, a French bulldog, and they're very cute dogs. But the idea that bulldogs, especially French bulldogs, have shared in popularity in recent years, have soared in popularity in recent years, making them some of the most expensive dogs in the United States, uh, it still seems particularly horrifying. I mean, burglary is horrifying anyway. But if you're coming in in a burglary situation, entering a home masked and walking away with nine bulldog puppies, uh, that's appalling. And, uh, and then finally, on a much more serious note, a Minnesota man was sentenced to life in prison yesterday for selling fentanyl online that led to 11 fatal overdoses. A federal jury in March convicted Aaron Broussard, 32, of Hopkins, Minnesota, of 17 counts, including distribution of fentanyl resulting in death. Federal prosecutors said at trial that Broussard's customers thought they were buying a stimulant similar to Adderall. 
on an awful situation. What is the most unhappy country in the world? And the runner-up. Uh, we will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, there's a new Gallup poll that uh, shows that um, people in the world, worldwide, are more unhappy and by a, a long shot than they were before the pandemic, and uh, that they have not recovered with the receding or and the continuation and uh, more moderated terms of the pandemic. Uh, the, uh, there's a new book, in fact, called Blind Spot, The Global Rise of Unhappiness and How Leaders Missed It. In uh, the United States, by the way, there's also a Gallup report that uh, satisfaction with U.S. education has slumped to 42%. In other words, they ask parents, are you satisfied with the education system in the U.S.? A 42% say they are satisfied 51% said they were satisfied in 2019. And this is obviously reflects some of the impact of lockdowns. And uh, the recent decline is seen exclusively among Republicans and Republican leaners. So I would say that, uh, that it also has a great deal to do with the injection of CRT, of uh, the critical race theory into schools and the way that People are being taught about sexuality and the LGBTQ plus community that uh, that impacts the dissatisfaction with education in the United States profoundly. And it's a legitimate issue in this election coming up. Meanwhile, most parents of both parties remain satisfied, they say, with their own child's education. And... This, of course, I think is, shows a healthy psychological mechanism, which is that generally uh, when people look at their own lives, they tend to look on the bright side and should. And, and again, it also goes to uh, the idea and to counteract the idea that our education system, despite annoying episodes like this stupid and pointless uh, Seattle teacher strike, which uh, appears, at least according to most reports, to be close to a negotiated settlement. But more on that when, when that happens. Uh, there's a question about unhappiness in general. And uh, Gallup has a new book called The Global Rise of Unhappiness and How Leaders Missed It. And uh, it says unhappiness continued to rise worldwide in 2021 as the world overall became a sadder, more worried, and more stressed out place. But there are two countries, uh, and the two countries are Afghanistan and Lebanon, where more people were living in misery than anywhere else on the planet. What's fascinating about this is that you, you were supposed to be making Afghanistan happier when the United States would withdraw all our troops and turn it over to the tender mercies of the Taliban. The exact opposite has happened. Uh, Afghanistan was less uh, pronouncedly unhappy uh, before the United States withdrew. In other words, 
there is no sense in which the United States gained by withdrawing the small number of, of troops we had left there and preventing a full Taliban takeover, which, of course, promoted unhappiness. Last year, Afghanistan and Lebanon posted the two highest scores in the world, 59 and 58, on Gallup's Negative Experience Index, which is a composite measure of people's daily experience of sadness, stress, worry, <clears throat> anger, and physical pain. Higher scores on the index mean uh, more of a population is experiencing these emotions. The high scores for Afghanistan and Lebanon in 2021 notably displaced Iraq, which still ranked among the top most miserable countries, but Iraq used to have the number one spot on the negative experience index that it had occupied for the two previous years. Iraq posted scores similar to Afghanistan's and Lebanon's current scores throughout its war against the Islamic State group, but with that war having uh, finished, basically, at least at the moment, the, there's less suffering and less misery in Iraq. When Gallup surveyed Afghanistan as the Taliban retook control last year and as the U.S. withdrew its troops, Afghan's emotional state reflected the chaos and uncertainty. Worry, stress, and sadness soared to record high levels in Afghanistan and were the highest in the world in 2021. 80% of Afghans were worried. 74% were stressed. 61% said they were sad. Notably, no other population in the world has ever reported feeling this worried in the history of Gallup's measuring these trends. The quality of life has deteriorated in Lebanon so much that 63% of Lebanese adults said that they would like to leave the country permanently if they could. The desire is even stronger among those experiencing negative emotions. Uh, I mean, this is its so sad. Afghan and Lebanese adults' ratings of their lives in 2021 paint an even more miserable picture of their current conditions. In addition to having the worst emotional health in the world, in 2021, Afghans and Lebanese also rated their lives the worst, with Afghans rating their lives at 2.4 on a scale from 0 to 10, where 10 is the best possible life and 0 is the worst, and Lebanese adults ratings of their lives a 2.2. Look, what's particularly sad about this is Afghanistan has had a, a miserable 200 years. But Lebanon used to be the most enlightened country in the Middle East. The only one that had, other than Israel, that had anything like religious pluralism because the largest group in Lebanon were Maronite Christians. And uh, uh, there was relative, I mean, they went through a horrible civil war, but they used to talk about Beirut as the Paris of the Middle East. It was a place with a wonderful nightlife. Uh, there was a great deal of prosperity, economic optimism. And the fact that Lebanon has fallen apart so horribly, economically and in terms of civil liberties and everything else, is a reflection of the fact that the dominant force in Lebanon now is Shiite Islam. And it is... Uh, uh, it is Shiite Muslims who are controlled by Hezbollah, who are controlled by Iran. And uh, again, oh, and this sad news, uh, just breaking news. Uh, Ken Starr, who was a friend of this show and a personal friend, 
who was the prosecutor in the Clinton Whitewater probe, uh, just passed away at age 76. Uh, Ken Starr, who led the Whitewater investigation into former President Bill Clinton, has died at 76. His family said he died in Houston of complications from surgery. Uh, Whitewater began as a probe of real estate investments by Clinton and former First Lady Hillary Clinton, but branched out to encompass other areas, including the notorious Monica Lewinsky sex scandal, which became the basis for impeachment. And it is not true that Ken Starr led the impeachment effort. He he didn't, but he provided with his investigation the basis for it. Uh, and speaking of that impeachment effort uh, and un unhappiness in the world, uh, the deaths of three women in a tiny suburban apartment have prompted South Korea to reflect on whether the country's safety net lets too many of the most vulnerable through. It turns out that South Korea is a country that has claimed the industrial world's highest suicide rate for more than 20 years, dominating national headlines for days and spurring proposals to plug perceived gaps in the country's social safety net. Suicide is the leading cause of death for South Koreans in their teens to their 30s. Overall, the number of deaths by suicide was three times the number of deaths from vehicular accidents in 2020, the most recent figures available. But the road safety budget is 10 times what it is earmarked for suicide prevention. Mental health issues, financial woes, and physical health problems are the three main factors in suicide, according to research from South Korea's National Policy Agency, which... Um, interviewed surviving family members and referenced suicide notes. Less than a fifth of the uh, people suffering from depression seek help in South Korea, said Kim Hyun Soo, the director of uh, Seoul Suicide Prevention Center, in part because some health insurance companies reject applications if there is a history of mental illness treatment. It's a horrible thing. South Korea has the 10th largest economy in the world. It's been enormously prosperous. They have elected what most people view as an enlightened and pro-American new government. And uh, the idea that the economic competition and the ferocity of the work ethic has contributed to some of this bad news from South Korea, perhaps something to be learned from that to benefit this greatest nation on God's greatest